Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast, you gammy panhandlers. This is the first step. We're, we're nearly up to 200 episodes. I've been making this podcast since late 2017, and I have never missed an episode. Every Wednesday, lads. I even did one on Christmas Day. Every Wednesday, I've come through with the episode. And I've never, I've never let anything get in the way of recording a podcast episode. And this week is the first time that I almost didn't upload a Wednesday podcast because of technology. And if you have particularly sensitive ears, this is why this week's podcast might sound slightly different. So, if you've been listening in for the past 10 weeks, you'll know that the computer that I record this podcast on is on its last legs while I was waiting for a brand new computer to arrive which was taking ages because of Brexit and UK customs so my computer finally packed in it gave up this week it got completely full and it got hot and the fan got overheated and it simply wouldn't let me record anymore but then the brand new computer finally arrived so I was like fuck it it doesn't matter who cares the old computer packed in Thank God, the new computer arrived. So I set it up today, rubbing my hands together, going, brilliant, can't wait to record the podcast on the brand new computer. But alas, the company who sent me the computer with the software, I got a bunch of audio software on it in order for me to make music and record this podcast. They sent me all the software, which I purchased, but they didn't send me any of the activation codes which validate validate the products including the activation code for my windows so i'm recording this on a computer right now and every piece of software on the computer is the trial version and i'll be waiting until tomorrow before i get my activation codes so i almost didn't put out a podcast because here's the thing using trial version software and it's not just one piece of software, it's several. It means that I can only record audio in, in possibly five-minute bursts or possibly even three-minute bursts, depending on which piece of software decides to arbitrarily stop working and remind me that I need to activate it and purchase the full version. So I nearly didn't put out a podcast. And then I said to myself, I can't do that. I must put out the podcast. No matter what happens, I can just tell you what the problem is and we'll try our best so what I'm doing is recording this it can stop at any minute and then when it does stop I have to go back and edit it so ye don't notice but it's like trying to record the podcast and there's a dog pulling my leg there's a dog biting my sock and trying to pull my leg while someone else is throwing ping pong balls at my head so it's it's difficult But luckily, I do have a backup plan. I do have a backup plan. So this week's podcast is actually, it's going to be really, really good because I have an interview that I did with some people which I've been keeping in my back pocket. Really, really good, interesting um, interview and a topic which I think you're going to enjoy. And I'm going to play you that. Before I do that, actually, no, I'll... I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is because I don't like that suspense shit. Um, I spoke to two professors who are 
world leading experts in the relationship between mental health and gut bacteria and the food that you eat and mental health and it's incredibly exciting emerging research so I have a fantastic chat lined up this podcast for ye but first I have some things I want to speak about firstly thank you very much for the feedback for last week's podcast it was a mental health podcast um, I got a lot of lovely messages I couldn't respond to all of them but I I like doing last week's podcast because when I do a mental health podcast it's not just for ye it's it's an act of therapy for myself there's a bit of self talk going on and I'm really glad that so many of ye found it helpful also something that I've been requested that I received several requests this week to speak about is the there was a woman murdered in England called Sarah Everard and it's very sad and it's very tragic and there was a lot of grief and anger online particularly from women because of how the murder highlighted the the lack of safety that women feel when they just simply live their lives in society so I had a lot of people asking me to speak about this specifically which makes me feel sad because the reason and I've mentioned this many times the reason I'm getting asked to speak about this is women saying to me will you speak about this because the the certain lads will only listen if another man says it which is very frustrating because if you're one of these lads who all of a sudden it's it's like something may something something which women are speaking about only makes sense to you when you hear a man say it please work on that and focus instead on listening to women rather than needing something translated through a male voice because when you when you operate like that it it contributes to the problem rather than solving it even if the thing that the man is saying makes you have like an awakening the fact that you needed to hear a man say it rather than listen to a woman that um that contributes to the problem so I was asked to speak about just the the everyday violence that women face that men men don't essentially and the thing is this is something I've actually spoken about before this is something I've spoken about before I did almost an entire episode on it one of my first ever podcasts back in 2017 the podcast episode is called Yarty Ahern where I speak about an area where I go jogging where I see a, an otter called Yarty Ahern who I still see he's got a family now and I speak about acknowledging the privilege that I have to go running in the dark at night time whenever I want and I don't have to think about my safety sometimes I have to worry will my phone get robbed in the back of my mind but I, I don't really have to worry about my, my physical safety this isn't something this isn't how I navigate my life as such one thing one small thing I do want to point out I brought this up once at a festival at a chat at a festival I was doing and one lad put his hand up and he said that some men do have to worry about their physical safety when they're going about their daily lives or walking and 
this lad in particular said that he, as a gay man, because he happens to walk in a way that's camp, he is at risk of violence and harassment. So that's worth pointing out, um, just to relay that, that lad's experience when I was at a festival. But if you've been looking at the news all week, or you've been on social media, you'll be aware that lots and lots of women have been sharing their experiences of needing to be very cautious and aware and afraid of their physical safety when they simply try to live their lives in public especially when they're on their own so what can we do as men to adjust our behavior and to bring this situation into our awareness so i mean the obvious one is if you're out walking at night time and you see a woman be aware that she doesn't know who you are and she has good reason to be frightened of you you could be minding your own business so keep physical distance cross the road be very cautious if you're walking behind a woman or a group of women that if you just appear from nowhere your your appearance to just suddenly appear can be very frightening very very frightening and traumatic so if you are at a distance and you're walking on the road and there's a woman a few yards in front of you maybe make some noise like jingle your fucking keys or scratch your feet on the ground so that she then becomes aware that there's a lad behind me before you then cross the street I mean offer to walk a woman if it's your friend offer to walk her home if it's someone that you know if if she is walking home and she's on her own and she gives you a text you go how are you getting on there do you want me to come come and meet you at a certain spot is that ask Um, don't say not all men that's fucking ridiculous listen when you hear women talking about this stuff and and if you are one of these lads who heard all this stuff during the week on social media and decided to start to think not all men i'm i'm a man and i i don't attack women on the way home well fair play to you fair play to you that's the that's the bare minimum fair play but instead of saying not all men just go well if you're not someone who attacks women on the way home then how about improving the situation even more by becoming a man who is incredibly aware of your own physical presence and what that might mean to women and what compassionate empathic things can you do to make the streets feel a little bit safer all right that's all it is make the streets feel a little bit safer through some self-awareness and some mindfulness that's it and chat to other lads about it. Chat to your friends about it. Normalise it in conversation. I did a full podcast on this. The podcast is called Yarty Ahern. And you'll find it in my podcast episodes. And it's one of the earliest episodes that I made. Um, I can't speak at length about it this week, obviously. Because I have this technological issue. Which means I have to record everything here in short bursts. Um, what I also want to talk about is... It's St. Paddy's Day. It's St. Patrick's Day. It doesn't... It doesn't mean much now because we're in quarantine. I'm not even going to be drinking because I'm off the drink. I'm off cans. Um, What am I doing for Paddy's Day? I'm taking a lot of cardboard to the dump and I'm excited about it (laughs) because it means getting outside of the house. (laughs) So I'm taking cardboard to the dump for Paddy's Day and being excited about going to the dump to put the cardboard there and then being excited about the lack of cardboard in my house once it's gone. Because that's what quarantine has done to my brain. And that's where my 
level of excitement and expectations are. Actually, maybe what I'll do is I'll I'll like. I'll I'll go I'll pretend I'll pretend I'm Saint Patrick, and the cardboard that's currently all over my living room floor. I'll pretend that that cardboard is snakes, and me removing the cardboard and taking it to the dump is me as Saint Patrick removing the snakes from Ireland, and then I'll go back uh, to my living room and teach Christianity to the floor. That's what I'll do. But I've 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 strong opinions about Saint Patrick's Day. Saint Patrick's Day is uh, it's an Irish holiday that's celebrated the world over which I think is is remarkable for such a small country and actually as well I'm I'm involved in there's no St. Patrick's Day festival this year as such there's no parade because of coronavirus so instead what there is is there's St. Patrick's festival it's it's all moved online so the official Irish St. Patrick's festival I'm involved in that online what they asked me to do this week was to give a daily message to the artists of Ireland. I did five little video messages, which you can see on stpatricksfestival.ie, and you can see it the world over. I did five five-minute messages for the artists of Ireland, which I was asked to do, to help artists with their creativity and mental health. Five separate episodes where I speak about what is success, incorporating failure into a process how to deal with criticism how I basically use emotional awareness and good mental health practice specifically as an artist to protect my creativity and to avoid creative block and procrastination so you can check that out if you want to see them also they got me to read out one of my short stories which I think is going out tonight I read out a short story called Jolie which is from my last book it's 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 either set during the Irish famine or it's set in the future post climate collapse it's about two women who find a dead priest and eat him so I'm really looking forward to the reaction to that because there'll be yanks watching that but anyway I digress I've been kind of rabbiting on now for a few years that I would like to see St. Patrick's Day because it's already green in, in its theme St. Patrick's Day is associated with the colour green And I think in light of the climate emergency and the biodiversity emergency that we should start rebranding St. Patrick's Day as being about the environment. Because the thing is, every country in the world is going to have to reduce its carbon footprint if we're to fight the climate emergency, okay? And to improve biodiversity. Every country is going to have to reduce its climate or carbon footprint. But Ireland's a very small country with quite a small carbon footprint. So some people say, what's the fucking point in Ireland becoming green? Because we're so tiny that if, if even if we, you know, get rid of all carbon from Ireland and the larger scale of things in the world, how can it make a difference? Surely it's countries like the US and China and India that need to sort their shit out. And to a certain extent, there's an argument, but... We've got a tiny carbon footprint, but we've got a huge cultural footprint. Like I said, we're a country of four million fucking people, and we've we've two holidays that are celebrated the world over: Patrick's Day and Halloween. Like for a tiny country, that's mad. So our cultural footprint is huge. So if we start to incorporate 
green, ecological, environmentally friendly, biodiversity friendly themes into St. Patrick's Day, we can use our massive cultural footprint to have a large influence on the world, which then reduces the carbon footprint. To me, that seems like a really positive thing to do. And it also shifts Paddy's Day away from negative connotations of excessive drinking and smashing pint glasses into people's faces. So I want to propose something. Now, this is this is a little advert, but it's the type of advert that I'm really happy to do this. And this is something I really believe in. And I think it's, it's an incredibly positive thing. So currently it's National Tree Week. Or no, it's not National Tree Week now. From the 21st of March to the 28th of March is National Tree Week, okay? And there's a company called Wolfgang Reforest. And Wolfgang have put ads out on my podcast before. But basically what Wolfgang Reforest are doing is they're really interested in Irish biodiversity and improving Irish biodiversity. Biodiversity is simply the diversity of insects and animals in Ireland and how this is rapidly disappearing because of climate change and because of eradication of natural habitats, right? Ireland used to be a rainforest. Many, many years ago, Ireland was, I believe, a temperate rainforest. The whole country was covered with fucking dense forest. And you can imagine the animals and insects and birds that went along with that, that disappeared. We were deforested as a result of colonialism. When the British colonised Ireland, in particular Oliver Cromwell and afterwards, they cut all our forests down and replaced it with pasture land for cows and dairy to be exported. So Wolfgang Reforest are basically, they ha- they're, they're trying to grow a giant forest in Wicklow of native broadleaf trees. Now that's the important thing because the Irish government said a couple of years ago that they were going to plant a million trees and then you look into it and you find out that the trees are actually Sitka spruce which are not native trees they're not broadleaf and they're being made not for the climate but they're being made for the logging industry but the government, Fine Gael specifically were pretending that this was some type of noble climate uh, thing that they were doing, it wasn't but Wolfgang Reforest is a social enterprise that's literally trying to plant native broadleaf trees for the sole purpose of improving biodiversity and having more forestry of native broadleaf trees in Ireland, which is a fantastic good thing. So, if you want to contribute to this, right, firstly, go to wolfgangreforest.ie because they're reforesting the great oak woods of Shillelagh up in Wicklow. And for 20 euros a month, right, if you subscribe to this for 20 euros a month, they're going to plant on your behalf 12 native Irish trees a year, right? You're invited, if you want, to actually come and help to plant your own trees up in Wicklow. And when you do this, when you essentially sponsor a forest, you'll get updates on your trees for the rest of your life. So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in, if you're getting down about the climate emergency or getting down about biodiversity and you're going, what can I do? This is a fantastic initiative. Wolfgangreforest.ie, 20 euros a month and 12 broadleaf trees are planted on your behalf that you can look at. 
I think that's I think that's pretty good stuff lads for National Tree Week so if you're interested in that wolfgangreforest.ie so before I go into my interview with the professors about the relationship between food and the gut and mental health let's have a little ocarina pause because of my technological limitations this week I don't think I can drop the ocarina pause in the middle of the interview so I'm just going to do it now 
and Cork Discovers was specifically about drawing attention to important research work that's been done in the city of Cork. And Professors John Cryan and Ted Denan are world leaders in psychobiotics and they wrote a book called The Psychobiotic Revolution. And what this is essentially, it's how our mental health, how our brains, our emotions, our mental health is affected by bacteria in our guts, in our stomachs and the food that we eat. So basically it's how, how, how the food we consume and the health of our stomachs impacts our mental health. And it's an emerging field and it's incredibly exciting. And I had a chat with these two professors and it's one I had in my back pocket. Like I said, because I was worried about this PC packing in, I had this little interview in my back pocket going, right, if something goes terribly wrong, at least I have this interview to put out so I can get things sorted. So thank fuck I have this interview to put it out this week and it's really enjoyable and I hope you like it. So here's the crack. Before I get into it actually, before I get into it. So the professors speak about the importance of fermented food in that, that we should bring fermented food into our diets to have a healthy gut. And since I recorded this podcast two months ago, I started to get into fermented food, in particularly making my own fermented food. I'm talking about things like sauerkraut and kimchi, okay? And once you hear this interview, you're probably going to want to make your own fermented food. And I just want to give you just little pointers that I've learned so you don't make the mistakes that I make. I've been making my own kimchi. Kimchi is a type of Korean fermented cabbage it's very spicy it's fizzy it's a little bit of an acquired taste but it is incredibly tasty and I love kimchi and I make kimchi stew and what I've learned with kimchi and sauerkraut and a lot of fermented foods sometimes when you buy them in shops they don't contain the beneficial fermented bacteria because a lot of the stuff you buy in shops is actually pasteurised and the stuff that's like would you call it raw kimchi the stuff that contains the beneficial bacteria is very very expensive to purchase I've found so I've been making my own kimchi you can get tons of recipes online so here's two little tips that I will say to you it's it's cabbage, it's cabbage that you ferment in jars and when you make it yourself it's really inexpensive there's two important ingredients there's the right type of cabbage and there's a Korean chilli paste called go- gochujang which is very easy to get in any Asian store or you can order it online as well so here's what I've learned from making kimchi um, firstly don't use tap water because the chlorine in the tap will not allow fermentation to occur so use water that you filter yourself with a water filter or just simple bottled water, okay? Secondly, when you're looking up recipes for kimchi, they always suggest using Napa cabbage. In Ireland, Napa cabbage is called Chinese leaves, and you can get it in most supermarkets. When you see a product called Chinese leaves, it looks a bit like lettuce. That's what Napa cabbage is. So if you fancy making kimchi, don't use tap water, and Napa cabbage is called Chinese leaves. So here we go. Here is the interview with Professors 
John Cryan and Ted Dinan from UCC about psychobiotics. So um, ye lads, are, you're both in UCC and you're working in the area of psychobiotics. Is it fair to say you're in the area of psychobiotics? And, and what is that? Well, psychobiotics is a term that John and I introduced into the literature about a decade ago. And it really refers to bacteria, which when we take them in, when we ingest them, can positively benefit our mental health. So we, def so we describe any bacteria that will positively impact our mental health as a psychobiotic. And so I'm familiar with terms like probiotic. Yeah. Is it, is it in the same territory? It's like what, 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 what like, yeah, here's, here's just, just from what I've been reading, all right? Now, t tell me if I'm wrong. Are ye lads trying to find basically a version of Yakult that improves your mental health? That would be that would be a great goal uh, in one way. What we're really trying to understand is is uh, basically over the last decade or so, there's been a real interest uh, in in medicine in general about uh, what are the bacteria in your gut, how they're influencing all aspects of your health, whether whether it's your immune health, your gut health, your um, cardiovascular health, etc. Where Ted and I have been working on is really trying to see how these bacteria that we have in our gut that we get on the day we're born uh, and, and that, 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 that travel with us the entire of our life, how they could also be relevant to our mental health and, and help in protecting, protecting us uh, during times of stress, etc. And then can we generate or can we look at specific ways of manipulating them bacteria, either through these kind of uh, pr uh, probiotic drinks or, or by other means, uh, through diet. In particular, we're really interested in the, in the relationship between food and mood and, and how diet could be uh, playing a role in that, in, in, in shaping our behaviour and in, 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 in being a positive influence on our overall uh, stress resilience. And, and that's an enormous quantity of bacteria in the intestine. In your average adult, there's over a kilogram of bacteria, which is really almost the weight of the human brain. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a virtual organ in its own right, that collection of microbes in our intestine. And really, those bacteria, they produce a lot of substances that our brains and our other organs in the body actually need so we really are very dependent upon those bacteria. And of course, they're very dependent on us as well because we feed them. Yeah. So it's a two-way process. What's the most basic description? So of, so if I, if I eat a dinner, right, did these bacteria, are these bacteria responsible in helping break down the necessary nutrients for that to go into my body and then my brain? Is that how that works? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah at yeah. one level, for, for sure. I mean, the, 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 there, are, there are many, many processes involved. But for example, if you have a lot of fiber, let's say from green vegetables, uh, fiber, fiber is resistant to, to the normal digestive processes, the, you know, the acids and the various things, the enzymes that are normally breaking down other things. But fibers, a lot of them are resistant to that. And so they're broken down by the, acted on by the bacteria in a process we call, like, it's kind of like a fermentation process in, in, in the gut. And then these fibers are turned into chemicals that our bodies wouldn't have without the bacteria or acting on them. And some of these chemicals uh, are, are, are really good in providing energy to the gut, but also we we're learning more and more about how, how some of these chemicals can then get to the brain and also influence the brain. And so we're beginning to see that you can either 
you have a number of options then. You could change your diet and change what comes in uh, uh, to act on, 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 so increasing fiber would be, we would think would be a good thing to try and, and do that if you can tolerate it. Or you can change the bacteria itself and, and try and, 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 and create an environment where there is good bacteria that are able to work on these fibers. Because if you take all the fiber you want, if you don't have the right bacteria, it won't make any difference. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a real uh, process overall. Yeah. Um, what we've learned over the years is that, like, you, you, you know, we've done some studies uh, where we've allowed animals grow up without bacteria. And, and this is probably the best, some of the best evidence that we, 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 we've had. Uh, uh, and when, the, when that happens, the brain doesn't develop normally. So this is a really extreme situation. These animals grow up in... in, in how in, do you do that to an animal? How does an animal grow up with no so, bacteria? So you basically, it's delivered very... Uh, it's, and in this case, we work with mice. So, so mice, the, 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 yeah. they can grow up without bacteria because we keep them in a complete sterile environment. They're born by... Because um, oh, wow. we, get, we get the bacteria at birth. It's kind of like a birthday present from your mom as, you, as, you, as you're being born. So these are born by C-section and they're kept in a completely sterile environment. And then they're... they're they allow us to do it. And the studies that Ted and I have been working on, we've shown that in these animals, the brains just don't develop the same way. And the, so that's a really extreme situation, but it, it's confirming it to us that you need signals from these bacteria to have uh, your brain work in, in, in an appropriate way. And that's kind of underpins a lot of the work we've been doing on psychobiotics. Because by psychobiotics, then we're targeting the microbiome, where we're, we're looking at it as, as kind of the, the place where we could actually look at it and to try and shift what's going on in the brain uh, towards, you know, in, 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 in a more uh, medicinal type of approach. And as John says, the brains of these animals who are germ-free, who have no bacteria, the brains don't develop normally. And of course, as a result of that, their behavior isn't normal. You know, mice are sociable creatures, just like we are. And if you give a mouse the opportunity to interact with another mouse, of course, it will do that. But yeah. when you look at germ-free mice who have no bacteria, if you give them the opportunity to interact with another mouse, or let's say within an inanimate object like a pen, they're as likely to spend the time with the pen as they are with another mouse. So their social behavior is radically altered. And they have other alterations. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, yeah. And their stress and, and responses. Is it fair to say that, um, uh, uh, like creatures that are social, such as mice and humans, that our social interactions with other people also benefit our bacteria? That that true exchange of meeting with people is is, is that something? That's that, that that that's such a brilliant point, blind by it. It's something we're really interested in because you, you start to, you, you know, when we found these really amazing uh, discoveries about about this the brain and the behavior of these animals, it, we started thinking about it. You know, you know, you know, if we are in a social environment, bacteria do get spread from one to the other, and so that, that perhaps there is. Uh, a relationship there, and so we've been collaborating with some of our colleagues in 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 um, in, 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 the, in the school of uh, in, in the zoology department in, in UCC as well. Looking, if you, but what, so that's mice and that's mammals. What if you went back to look at other uh, uh, parts of the animal kingdom, like you know, even as far back as insects, like bees and and, and um, uh, locusts and ants, and all of their social interactions are also driven by their bacteria, and so people are beginning to really start to see that. That there's something really critical about bacteria 
bacteria in the gut and the social brain across the animal kingdom. And where that might come to its extreme situation is then in humans where we have altered sociability and altered social uh, uh, um, uh, systems. And, and you know, we, we've been working on this in the context perhaps uh, of the social deficits in, in autism, but also in, in social anxiety disorder, where we, yeah. we, we're beginning to see changes in the bacteria that could also be relevant to that. And so, you know, now in this lockdown world where we're changing our social dynamics and changing everything, the question is, are we also changing our, our bacteria uh, and whether there's going to be any long-term consequences of that and how that bacteria signals to the brain? Uh, we don't know right now, but it's something that we are quite, quite uh, aware of. And when uh, we live in, in close proximity to people, I mean, we do share bacteria with them. Yeah. And, and not just with people, with animals as well. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a pet dog, you know, you're going to exchange bacteria with the dog and the dog will have some bacteria that would have evolved, come from humans and, and, and vice versa. And, and people, we, you know, and this is something that, that, that you might be interested in because people start to, to think about bacteria as something different to us. But if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, just look, look the bacteria were here long before humans. And so what's happened is we've co-evolved. They're like our, I often refer to them as our friends with benefits. So they've taken on some of the roles uh, to help humans' uh, physiology be better. Um, mm -hmm. One of the clear, one of the best examples of this that, that people may not be aware of is that if you look at human breast milk, right, it's mm -hmm. very, very complex. Uh, it was really surprising to me when I realized that the, the complexity of sugars we have in, in breast milk uh, is way more in humans than in any other mammal. And, and what's really surprising is these sugars cannot be broken down by the infant. And so why would that be? Like, why would evolution engender us with these, these very complex sugars? Because, but they're actually broken down by the microbes. And so you have this really cooperation between the microbes uh, and the actual breast milk. And they're broken down to key chemicals that are very important in brain development, like sialic acid. So some of the beneficial effects that we see of breastfeeding could perhaps be due to what's happening at the level of the microbes. So there's one thing, lads. Um, the research that you're doing, it, it feels like the type of stuff that we've kind of known already, that humanity has known. But we're waiting for science to kind of to prove it as such and from my own point of view like i definitely noticed a relationship between my stomach and my own mental health especially when i was suffering from mental health issues but i never thought food so it's, put, put it this way when i had bad anxiety i would notice every single day I, I'd, I'd have a pain in my tummy I, anxiety would manifest itself in my stomach and then after a couple of weeks, I'd actually start to turn off food because I'd have such a problem with acid in my stomach that I didn't want to eat. Now, then on top of my anxiety, I'd start to experience uh, depression. And when I had depression, I don't even want to engage in the act of making decent food for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about food. I'm not thinking about the aesthetic enjoyment of food. I'm just eating small things for the sake of it because I'm sad. But then when I started to use cognitive behavioral therapy, that, that's what I used personally that helped me with depression and anxiety. As part of my process of improving my mental health and being mindful of my thoughts and behavior, cooking food, cooking wholesome, decent food became part of it. As in, 
I know that simply going to the takeaway would not is is as an act isn't as rewarding as the practice of going to the shop, selecting my vegetables, thinking about what I'm eating, then engaging in the narrative aesthetic journey of cooking, then completing that cycle and then enjoying the dinner that I've made. And I was doing things like that as part of a, a behavioral thing. I knew that for someone with depression and anxiety and very low self-esteem, to simply make a dinner, to engage in that process would, would help my sense of self-esteem. But now looking back, I'm probably going, there was probably also a benefit in the fact that I, I was, by doing that, I'm getting better nutrition and surely that's helping me too in, when, in overcoming my anxiety and depression, which I did. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, all of these things are connected. And one of the things, you know, you said that we've known all this for a long time, but in, you know, we tend to, in medicine, we compartmentalize the body. And so we look, we, we, people specialize yeah. in different areas. And so, you know, but if you go back to the ancient times, people thought, you know, Hippocrates thought all diseases begin in the gut. And so, you know, there's a real sense now that if we look more holistically at, you know, all the signals that are coming into our brain, uh, from our from our gut and from everywhere else, from our immune system, etc., we're beginning to really appreciate uh, how important that is in, in in modifying our behavior. And so now, over the last say five years, there's a, a real push towards the whole area of nutritional psychiatry, which is basically targeting mental health processes through diet and really appreciating the impact that diet can have. And with that, um, Ted and I have really believed that one of the ways that what you eat is impacting your brain is through how it's interacting with, with the microbes. So when you were going through your process and, 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 and cooking these meals, and, and you are now not just getting the processed very pro-inflammatory um, fast food meals, but you are now probably thinking more about the vegetables and the fibers and the, the foods that are really good for your microbiome. Uh, and by taking them in, you're getting your microbes to really make all of these wonderful chemicals that are helping to support your brain and to modify these circuits in the brain. And as a neuroscientist, that's what I'm really interested in trying to understand and changing your behavior in that way. Um, so the, so the, whole, the whole, everything is connected in that way. Wouldn't you say, Ted? Absolutely. But I think that at mental health clinics, whether one is a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever, I don't think that we put enough emphasis on, on diet. I mean, there is a, a really strong relationship between a poor diet and poor mental health. And we've known that for a long, a long, long time. We know that people who live in the Mediterranean region who are on a classical Mediterranean diet have less depression and anxiety. And it isn't just simply that they have more sunshine, because if you take somebody in Northern Europe who's on a Mediterranean type diet, they are less likely to suffer from depression and anxiety. So I'm always suggesting to students when I teach them or to colleagues in psychiatry that we should be playing a far greater emphasis on nutrition. And of course, also related to that is exercise. Aerobic mm -hmm. exercise is the most potent antidepressant out there. 
If you could put it into a capsule, one would be a multi-billionaire. It has potent antidepressant properties. So I think, you know, whatever psychological interventions we use, whatever antidepressants we use, I think when we're treating someone who's suffering from depression or anxiety, that we should be recommending changes to diet and also that they get vigorous aerobic exercise on a regular basis. And there's a study from Australia from a, a really good friend and colleague of ours, which she took people who were on normal uh, antidepressants or on normal CBT, and she added in a Mediterranean diet to it. And, it's called, and, and it had a huge impact. Uh, it's a small study. It needs to be re replicated. We need to understand how that's happening. But we're collaborating with them to tr really see how the microbes are playing the role and, and basically are, are, are shaping how this diet is having a positive effect on mental health. And we've done a study now um, that we're still ongoing where we've taken people who are stress sensitive and have bad diets, a lot of our student population, for example, and we've put them on what we've coined as a psychobiotic diet. So it's a diet yeah. that's really rich in, in fermented foods um, uh, like uh, kefir and kombucha and sauerkraut and yogurt and uh, high in fiber. We've really ramped up the fiber intake and we just put them on this for a month like one month, so because and we're already seeing uh, really good changes in terms of how they manage stress and on their overall mood. Now, these are not depressed individuals. These are just normal people, but, but, but because of, of the way they're, uh, and they all report feeling better after a month. And, and I think, you know, our medical, I work in a medical school, our medical students get, get so little nutrition uh, advice uh, 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 overall. Our dentists get more. And, and so we really need to embed uh, nutritional health into our overall uh, um, education and, and so that people can can do it. Absolutely. And the flip side of what John's saying is that if, if somebody goes on a diet of just fast food for several weeks, yeah. you see a radical change in their gut microbiota. The microbes in the gut alter, they become less diverse, they become less rich in terms of variety. Um, so, you know, so, you know, Basically, the relationship between uh, bad mental health and, 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 and bad diet, I, I think, is unquestionable at this stage. And yet, I don't think that we place enough emphasis on it. You know, I, as you say, sometimes patients pick up the relationship themselves, but I'm not sure that yeah. clinicians actually give people advice in relation to nutrition. Well, I would have found... so. I, I, I studied uh, psychotherapy for a couple of years myself, and this would have been nearly ten, <clears throat> 10 years ago at this point. And I knew myself, so I knew by listening to my own body that, yes, I'm definitely getting benefits from attending therapy. I was using uh, transaction analysis, cognitive behavioral therapy, a bit of gestalt therapy, and this was helping me. But I also knew the running that I'm doing every day, running every day, and then how the running, when I would do a big long run, and I knew I'd, I was running because I felt good after the run, and then the run would then make me want to eat wholesome foods. Mm. After a decent run, your body doesn't crave fast food. Your body craves natural whole foods that you prepare yourself. And I found this stuff happening anyway, but I did find that this holistic thinking was kind of stigmatized that it would, do you know what I mean? It, it, it is, is there a sense with what the stuff that ye lads are researching now, is there a struggle to be, for it to be seen as legitimate? 
because mm -hmm. the diet and exercise was seen as mumbo jumbo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't seen as I, I serious think that medicine. Is, you're putting your finger on a very important point there. I think that, you know, treatments in, in relation to mental illness are, are very narrowly focused. I mean, psychologists will use cognitive behavior therapy frequently. You know, psychiatrists obviously learn how to use medication. But right. I, I really do think to, that to get the best outcome for patients with depression or anxiety, you've, we've got to use more holistic approaches. Now, the philosophy that guides what John and I do is that we want to do good science and we try to publish in the best journals out there. So I think whilst some people may poo-poo what we're saying now, I think because we do publish in, in, in first-class journals, yeah. you know, that increases the audience and I think people are more likely to accept it. But the flip side are, are following on from that, there is still a lot of, also a lot of snake oil out there. So you have to yeah. be very careful and and uh, you really need to be, you know, where, where is the evidence? And that's, so that's what we're trying to do is build evidence, uh, uh, firm evidence that, that this is, that this is not just a marketing ploy uh, overall. Indeed. And so uh, it's, you know, and, and also I guess one of the other things is, is in relation to diet is what we, we want to come up with is our solutions that are easy to democratize, that are not, you know, yes. because often the people that, that are going to benefit most from these types of, of, of interventions are, are not going to be the ones to go into the fancy uh, 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 food, uh, whole foods type uh, places. Uh, the, you know, the, 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 so we need to make it uh, available uh, to people that are, that they can, doesn't cost a huge amount overall. And so there's a question now, John, right? There's a question. Um, so when you say things to me like uh, kombucha, mm -hmm. sauerkraut, mm -hmm. kimchi, mm -hmm. these in Ireland anyway, these foods are quite prohibitive. Like yeah. kombucha is currently quite expensive. So is, yeah. sauerkraut's not that expensive. If you go to an Eastern European shop, it's, it's affordable yeah. there. Kimchi is expensive. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you can. What, what I'd like to, what, what I'm, here's what I'm cautious of, right? And this is a not, I, I speak to a lot of people about mental health and I try and listen. So, an issue that I find, especially with young people in this country, is when terms such as, when exercise and diet are brought up, some people feel insulted because the vibe that they get is that. People are sick of going to their doctor and the doctor say to them, you've got depression, go for a run. Mm. And then I know it's like, no, 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 it's holistic. Running must, it has to be part of a, a systematic approach to your mental health. You're trying to look at uh, behavior, um, how you're thinking about yourself, your diet, your running. Um, another thing is class comes into this. Mm -hmm. If we're to have a diet that is psychobiotic, it then must be affordable to everybody. Not everybody can walk into a shop and spend four quid on a bottle of kombucha. Do you know what I mean? Indeed. So absolutely. And, and that's why I'm, I, I actually feel very passionate about this because uh, you can, like, I, I make uh, kefir at home, milk, milk kefir. Yeah. It costs nothing except the price of the milk. Uh, and kefir is like a, a kind of, and, and you can a, do the same with yogurt. It's basically It's like a yogurt. It, 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 it's a, a grain, grains that, 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 that 
keep propagating and they contain yeast and bacteria and you just make it every day and it costs nothing except the milk. Kombucha you can make yourself, but it, w yeah. we, we don't have a culture in Ireland uh, of this fermentation. Uh, yeah. the, 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 you know, so all of these are, are coming from ancient practices from, from, from their home countries. Kimchi from Korea, uh, kefir from, 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 from the Eastern Europe. Uh, and you know, it, it's really uh, something that I think that we should be educating people more. No one is making money out of kefir and the kefir grows. You can you give it to your, it keeps growing and growing. And, and so if we launched, and that's why we're doing this psychobiotic diet, because everything in that sh should be doable at home. Increasing fiber should be relatively easy for everyone. And yeah, um, fiber seems like the easiest one there. You're talking about increasing your greens, broccoli, cabbage, all yeah, this stuff that yeah, is already yeah, affordable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so. But, but sauerkraut is just cabbage that's gone off, really, isn't it? it? It's about uh, this, you yeah. make it with vinegar. Kimchi yeah. you can make at home as well. With, you know, all of these are, are these are ancient foods uh, and fermented foods are among the most ancient foods uh, that we have. And I think exactly what I, we don't want to create solutions uh, overall. Where this is also really a live topic right now is in, in Africa, where mm -hmm. uh, some of the effects of malnutrition in early life uh, on the brain in particular are, are due to the, the, the problems with the microbes because the, the microbes aren't there and they're not able to harvest the benefits out, out of breast milk, etc. And so the people are really focused now on creating solutions, but not solutions that big food can come in and, and, and put in, but solutions that are based on locally sourced fibers and locally sourced materials that will be different in, 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 in parts of Africa than they will be in parts of Bangladesh where some of this work is also going on. So I don't think why we shouldn't have solutions in Ireland that are suitable for, you know, the culturally and sociologically what we're trying to do. You know, we don't want to just have a solution for the middle classes because, you know, yeah. we really are focused yeah. on, 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 on a whole diet approach uh, that, that might be actually uh, beneficial. Uh, if, but it'll take education and it'll take de-stigmatizing, de you know, and also it'll take within the medical profession people to think more holistically yeah. uh, and to understand what we're trying to do really is understand that there's a science behind why these foods are yeah. beneficial to your mental health. And and, and, and and I think with that comes education. Yeah, and one of the I, one of the great foods from a mental health perspective is fish. Now, yeah. fish yeah, has yeah. essential oils that are great for our microbes in the gut, but they're also essential for the structure of our brain because the brain is just a fatty organ. And a lot of fats are bad for your brain, but the fats mm -hmm. that are in fish are essential for brain. And I suppose it never ceases to amaze me that here we are living in an island where, you know, fish is readily available. Some of it is very expensive, but some of it is inexpensive. I mean, mackerel is not an expensive fish in the middle of summer here. And it is, it is full of fats to an extent way in excess of what other fish are. And, it, and it's cheap and readily available. But so many people in Ireland, despite the fact that we live in an island, don't like eating fish. I mean, I would yeah. mention it to my patients and they would say, oh, God, I hate the smell of fish. I wouldn't mm -hmm. eat fish at all. Um, and of course, some people then are ending up going into health food stores and buying supplements with fish oils, EPA and DHA, and taking the fish oils in a capsule, when in fact, the best way to take any food ingredient is in good good food which in this case we're talking about fish so here's a question then lads right this is what i'd be interested in so this research that you're doing um 
the, the, I won't say the fear. I won't say a fear. What I'd say is because of capitalism, we have a tendency to, to medicalize. So you saying, right, the best thing for you to be doing is actually eating fish. That doesn't help the pharmaceutical industry who want to go, hold on a second, I want to put fish into a pill. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the, what's the story here? It is, are you, are you fearful of the, we'll say the pharmaceutical industry trying to put this stuff in pill form or is whole natural foods actually the best approach? What, what, where's your feeling on this? Well, I think that the supplements industry globally is not very well controlled. And mm -hmm. what you have is a lot of supplements companies making outlandish claims. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I sent off a tweet there last night or this morning. It was about vitamin D. Now, mm -hmm. if, if one looks at the literature on vitamin D, it seems to be the cure for everything from cancer to Alzheimer's disease to baldness, you name it. Now, it can't be, I'm not saying that vitamin D isn't an important vitamin, it clearly is. But it is clearly not the cure for all these things. And yet there are clearly supplements companies out there selling vitamin D who are making a lot of money out of vitamin D. I, I just take that as an example because there are so many other supplements as well. Many of these components are found in food. Now, the best yeah. matrix or the best way to get any ingredient, in my opinion, is not in a capsule. It's in good food. There are occasions where, for whatever reason, maybe somebody has an abnormal digestive system and they're not able to absorb a substance, then, of course, you recommend a capsule. But really, I, I, I'm firmly of the belief that good food is the way to deliver good ingredients and not capsules. Lads, if someone said to you, right, what is, what, what, what's a psychobiotic diet? What, what should I begin eating immediately yeah. to improve my gut bacteria, what would you say to them? Right. So there's a few things, there's a few things you should add and things you should take, try and, 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 and lower. So it's a, it's a two-way yeah. two scenario. In terms of adding, we know fiber is king in terms of, you know, and, and good fibers are, are and, really and good. And what does fiber look like to, to the person in the shop? What, so what does good fiber lots look of like? grains. Uh, green vegetables, uh, they will be the two biggest uh, sources of, 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 of fiber uh, for sure. I mentioned the fermented foods. If you can make your own at home, don't be spending fortune on them, but, 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 but they, they are there and they really are a rich source of these good bacteria themselves. Um, there's a thing, what we call, which, which fits into the fiber, we call them prebiotics. So these, yeah. the, the, it's, to be distinguished from probiotics. So prebiotics are basically dietary substances on which the bacteria can, can act on. One of them we've worked on a lot is inulin. Now, inulin is, is present in things like leeks and artichokes and many vegetables and chicory and ma ma many vegetables. So increasing that uh, is, is also really good. So, so they're the kind of dietary things that, 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 are, that, that we can add. We know Ted mentioned the omega-3 omega fatty acids. That they almost act like a, like a prebiotic in our gut in, in some ways. Then there's a class of foods, uh, what we call uh, polyphenol. 
You know, it might sound mm -hmm. like, you know, like I always think it's like a 1970s disco queen, polyphenol. But polyphenols <laughs> are, 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 are really uh, enriched in, in things like nuts, in, in, uh, in grape juice, in, in onions, in many vegetables. And they, many of the polyphenols, when we take them in, um, they're also in dark chocolate and red wine, but, you know, we don't want to, but, but many of the, 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 the polyphenols, they don't get digested at all. They go all the way down to your lower bowel, to your colon. Mm -hmm. And there, they, they change the composition of the microbes and the microbes change the composition of them to produce uh, positive things. And they've been implicated mm -hmm. in healthy aging as well. And then there are things we should try and avoid because we know, now know science tells us that things like emulsifiers in foods, sweeteners, yes. artificial sweeteners in food. Uh, these are all pretty... Wow, but even like the stuff that's in like Diet Coke and oh, stuff Oh yeah, really. Yeah. It, it, it's not clear now which is worse for your microbes, the, the Coke or the Diet Coke, because the Diet Coke, the sweeteners have been shown to be pretty bad uh, wow. on, 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 on the microbes. So these are things that we should try to, you know, to, to try and avoid from, from a diet um, uh, uh, point of view. Then we should be looking at things like um, trying to minimize antibiotic usage. Because there's mm -hmm. widespread antibiotic overuse. No, does that include getting it through your meat? Not so much in Ireland, but in the US for sure. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, in, in the US, in, 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 um, we know that too much red meat is probably a bad thing because there's chemicals made from red meat that are, aren't that good. Uh, but everything in moderation, you know, and, and uh, we put together in our book like a, a, a pyramid, a psychobiotic pyramid, you know, that people are very familiar with these kind of food pyramids and trying to, trying to give people some advice as to, you know, these are the things we know which are good for your microbes and you should try and enrich your diet with them. And it's easier said than done. And, 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 and and it doesn't mean what we want is a, is, is a diet that's uh, pretty com people can be compliant with and and that they can take and they can enjoy uh, because it goes back to your point we had, there's an enjoyable aspect of the art of making food as yeah. well uh, in that and and uh, I'm sure that's all related I mean it's 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 if if we evolved this way of course we should enjoy this the aestheticism of preparing and eating food yeah. there's a reason for it yeah. For, for, for sure, for sure. And, um, and the contrast there, of course, is highly processed foods because, I mean, John is talking about good foods there that have a really positive impact on our gut microbiota and on our brain. But, of course, highly processed foods have various fats that keep the food reasonably fresh for extended periods of time. We know that some of these fats are bad for your heart. And in recent years, mm -hmm. we've learned that they're bad for your brain and for your microbiota as well. So, you know, there's no doubt about it that intermittently eating, you know, fast food, we all do, and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. But a diet that's exclusively based on fast food has a terribly deleterious impact on one's physical health and definitely yeah. on one's mental health and as well. And it leads well. to this inflammation. See, the, the microbes in the gut are also really important uh, in, in, in uh, tuning our immune system. And so yes. they're, they're the first thing that keep our immune system at bay. And so if you have a diet that, that changes these microbes, it can lead to a, a kind of inflammatory way. And, and this, this inflammatory aspect then talks to our brain and, and, and puts the brain into an inflammatory state. And that's... And, and here's a question, actually. If someone's gut biome is not in a good state, yeah. what, uh, how, if someone's listening to their body, what, what should we be listening to if, if, if our gut biome is, is in a bad way? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that, you know, 
If one suspects that one's microbiome, one's collection of microbes is in, is in a bad place, I think the two things that one can do that will have a very good impact on that will be the sort of diet and the components that John has just described, the plenty of fruit, plenty of vegetables, maybe fish if one likes fish, um, you know, so good foods like that, and exercise. We know that exercise, obviously it impacts on our muscles, but we know that it directly impacts on our gut microbes as well. So I think a combination... How does, how does it do that? How does exercise impact that on our That is actually microbes? the million-dollar question. There's a lot of research going on to look at that at the moment. How exactly? Because we do know that somebody who engages, who's been relatively sedentary, who doesn't really like exercise, who begins to exercise on a regular basis will show a dramatic change in their gut microbiota. And it may be due to molecules that are produced by muscle that then impact the gut microbiota. Or, you know, and an interesting aside, there's, there's an American company that are producing, are, are trying to produce a probiotic with bacteria that they got from Olympic athletes. Wow. So these particular bacteria were only found in, in Olympic athletes. And, you know, the rest of us don't possess these, these microbes. And this particular company are producing a probiotic with these particular microbes. So I don't know, maybe we'll all run a bit <laughs> faster if we take these, these particular probiotics. But also, like, uh, just again, me listening to my own body, like I said, when I, when, I, when I run, when I exercise every day of the week, my appetite changes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I actually don't want pizza. It, 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 the thought of fatty, oily, processed food, the thought of it doesn't satiate me. I crave homemade whole foods mm -hmm. when I'm actively exercising. Yeah. And you feel chilled out. I mean, I... I, I Look, I'm 65, That's true. but I yeah, run a lot. Move. And I find that, you know, when I go over, mostly on a Saturday, I run usually 10 or 15 miles on a Saturday. And I feel so utterly chilled out after that. So it, yeah. it, it, it has a positive mental health benefit directly, but it certainly is impacting one's gut microbes and, in a positive and, and, way too. And, and one of the big things we're trying to do here in UCC is trying to figure out these mechanisms. So how could, why would microbes in the gut be able to signal to your brain to change your behavior and make you chilled out? And, yeah. and, and, and that's one of our big science questions. And we're really, you know, one of the ways is that we, we have this nerve called the vagus nerve. Yeah. Uh, you know, vagus comes from the Latin for like, like, like uh, for wandering. Like, like vagrant is the same, uh, uh, um, comes from the same word. And this, the, the, this vagus nerve sends signals from your body, but from your gut, but also from your lungs and your heart to your brain to basically tell you uh, how you feel and to feel how you feel. And so when you do your mindfulness training, it's your vagus nerve mm -hmm. that's becoming activated and, and, and it activates these emotional circuits in the brain to be able to stay chill out and you know stay in the moment and, and whatever else. And so, so what we showed almost a decade ago now, Ted, yeah. we showed that, yeah. that, 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 that the microbes in the gut are able to more or less hijack 
this vagus nerve and, wow. and uh, through signals, not directly. It's not that they're, 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 they're infecting it, but it's just that they're sending signals that are activating this vagus nerve and that that's how they're getting to the brain. And, and so we're trying to disentangle these, this now because, you know, we, we can measure. These are things we can measure. And so you really see that everything is connected. And that's yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. kind of the microbiome science is really about understanding how everything is connected, yeah. and that how you're feeling. You know, if your microbes change, then it you're, it, it'll change how you feel, and, that, and and there'll be feedback loops in that. And these feedback loops have evolved, and we have evolved to be able to to do that. And uh, one of the one of the transmitter systems in the brain, the chemicals in the brain that regulates our mood and our sleep and appetite is serotonin. Now most people will yeah. have heard of serotonin because iconic drugs like Prozac obviously work on serotonin. Yeah. But in fact, serotonin is made from the amino acid tryptophan, which comes mm -hmm. partly from our diet, but is partly synthesized by microbes in our intestine. Now as humans, we actually have very limited storage capacity for tryptophan in our brains. So we need mm -hmm. tryptophan to make serotonin, but we actually can store it in high quantities in our brain. So we need a constant supply from our microbes and from our diet going into the bloodstream and crossing the blood-brain barrier into the brain to manufacture serotonin. Now, you can envisage a situation where if somebody's diet is really poor and if their microbiota isn't functioning properly, you ain't got enough tryptophan entering the bloodstream to cross the blood-brain barrier to provide normal serotonin transmission in the brain. And in those situations, you obviously have a dysregulated or poor mood. Mm -hmm. um, a question, lads. Um, so I mentioned earlier that when I was experiencing long-term anxiety, I would, I would feed it in my stomach. I would have an excess of acid. Now, I know that my body was releasing stress hormones. So stress hormones like uh, cortisol mm -hmm. or, or adrenaline. What? When someone is in a state of mental unhealth and their body is releasing these chemicals, do, do those chemicals have a negative impact on the gut biome? They certainly do. I mean, there isn't an area of the body that cortisol doesn't act upon. I mean, it acts directly upon the brain, which is something that's only been recognized within the last 20 years, really, that cortisol directly influences the brain. When I was a medical student, we were told it act, acted outside the brain to regulate your metabolism. But there's no doubt it does impact the gut microbiota. Um, you know, for instance, if you give somebody cortisol as a steroid, and if you gave somebody high doses of a steroid, that would have a really negative impact on the gut microbiota. Biota. And of course, as you say, when we are stressed, when we're pumping out adrenaline and cortisol, we pump out acid in our stomach as well. Yeah. And of course, this can lead to gastritis, irritation of the gastric lining. But in a worse state, it can obviously lead to peptic ulceration, where you actually get mm -hmm. a peptic ulcer as a result of stress. So there's no doubt about it. These stress hormones, they're very, we can't live without them. You know, they're absolutely essential. You couldn't function in your job today or I couldn't if we if you didn't have some level of stress hormone pumping through your system. And we've just done a study where we've looked at how, how um, now it was done before lockdown, but last year, where we looked at students going through exams, the stress that they have during that period. Now, this is a natural stress, but it is a stress. And so we, yeah. we, we, we looked at their microbes before and after. 
and we're able to show the the, the, the big changes uh, in in the those and especially inter, it's also inter individual. The interesting thing about all of this microbe work is that everyone is going to respond differently, and so that it, it may underpin why we respond differently to different things. But the, the students that were more stressed, their microbiome changed more, and this correlated with their cortisol responses to this stress as well. So we're beginning to sl slowly begin to disentangle this relationship between stress hormones, stress, and the microbiome. And, and the flip side then is, can we look at whether uh, our, through diet or other ways, can we, by fixing the microbiome part, can we uh, attenuate or, or block uh, how the stress hormones are ha having effect on other parts of the body as well. Are you lads seeing an increase in certain mental health issues depending on how society's diet changes? Also as well, um, things like celiac disease, IBS. Yeah. These are being spoken about more. People are presenting with these things more today. Is this interconnected? Oh, with uh, so, so everything is interconnected. And, and so the, some, some of the best studies now in the microbiome are cross-cultural studies. So like if you go and, and people have done this really cool studies where they've looked at people in Tanzania who still mm -hmm. maintain a hunter-gatherer diet, which is very rich in fiber. They have a very diverse microbiome. Really, really diverse. Then you can start to see... Now, with hunter-gatherer, so they're mainly in the gatherer side of things rather than the hunter side of things. Yes, then. yes in, the Hadza, yeah. in the Hadza community. We, we often focus on the, on, on, on the meat path, but, but the, the, the fiber intake is huge. And, 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 uh, and then you, you can start to see, well, what did agricultural practices do? So if you go to yeah. places like Malawi and Venezuela today, uh, they're still in that agrarian type of, of, of societies. There, you start to see a diminution of the microbiome composition in terms of diversity. And in shorthand, diversity, like in all aspects of life, is really good. And you want to have as diverse as possible. Then if you look in our Western society, either in US or Ireland, you see there's, there's mm -hmm. been an extinction of these microbes. So our ancestors would have had microbes that we no longer have. And that's wow. largely thought to be driven by the introduction of processed food, by the use of antibiotics in the food chain, by the stressful lives we live in. But the, the flip side of that is if you look at these other societies, there is no inflammatory bowel disease. There is no multiple sclerosis. There is many of the Western diseases that we have are, 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 are just completely uh, a product of this change in the microbiome. In relation to mental health, we know less. Uh, overall, and so yeah. you know, one of the things we're trying to really understand is, but like MS and and and, and inflammatory bowel disease is really, it's really striking when people look at these uh, uh, um, disorders, and okay. and so so people are beginning to really look at this, you know, studies now on on infl uh, the impact of these inflammatory diets on on all sorts of of, of 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 negative outcomes, and we know in mental health, the large epidemiology studies are showing that the people who have uh, really bad uh, diets have much more uh, higher propensity to depression, anxiety, etc. Yeah. And what, what do you say, lads, to uh, people? So some people are looking at, we say, ketogenic diets or intermittent fasting when it comes to things like MS, inflammatory diseases. Mm -hmm. Have you looked at that? We're very... Uh, so uh, the ketogenic diet is also is thought to mediate some of its effects through the microbiome uh, as well. As well, what we think and ketogenic is ketogenic is like all meat, all yeah, fat. But it's, it 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 wouldn't be long termly good for your microbiome. You okay. know, like yeah. anything that's that's so so severe. Intermittent fasting is a different thing because yeah. um, it's really interesting because that that the one thing we're studying right now is the influence of circadian rhythms on your microbiome and on your mood. 
because they're very, very closely connected. And studies that have come out in the last few years showing that not only does your microbiome change across your life, but it changes even across your day. So maybe the time of when you eat, you're providing the, the, the basically raw materials to this microbiome could be really important and could be optimized. And so that's something that we're beginning to really look at. And of course, sleep, uh, and jet lag and all of these things are, are, are being shown to affect the microbiome. And, and, and also in relation to depression, Ted, I mean, sleep. Oh, indeed, what yeah. about phone screens, yeah. lads? What about phone screens? What about, um, so I, I haven't gotten eight hours sleep since I started using an iPhone in 2011, yeah. right? And that's a fact. I used to get eight hours of sleep when I went to bed and I used to read books. But as soon as a phone became part of my life, I'm six hours of sleep. Indeed. And yeah. I, I know there's studies into blue light and things like this. Is sleep quality and the biome, what's yeah. the crack there? Well, I, I think to get back to your point about the, the screen time, I think there's no doubt about it that overstimulating yourself with, with a, a phone just when, you, when you're lying in bed is, has a terribly, terribly bad effect on one's sleep pattern. And of course, you know, it's often said that we live in a more stressful society now and we experience more stress than, let's say, our grandparents did. And of course, you know, I'm not really sure that that's true. I mean, if you look back at Ireland in the 19th century, where people didn't know where yeah. the next meal was coming from, heck, that was that was far more stressful than what most of us are experiencing nowadays. But I think what has changed is, I think our capacity to deal with stress has altered. I think we've okay. seen from one century to another, a, 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 a decreased ability to deal with stress. And that Resilient. is partly related to diet and partly related to alterations in the gut microbiota. So it isn't, I mean, clearly, look, you know, no one is suggesting that that Ireland isn't is a stress-free zone. It, it it is far from it, and for many people, life is very stressful. But it's still not as stressful as it was for their great grandparents. Mm -hmm. But I think that what their great grandparents often had, if they did have an adequate diet, it was probably a healthier diet than what many people now have. And I think that, you know, that is one, it's not the only reason, but I think it is one of the reasons our capacity to deal with stress you know, has has altered. And one of the things we just we just, we just published a paper. We looked at again in, in our student population when they're stressed during exams. We looked at their sleep, and mm -hmm. their sleep becomes disturbed. And we in this study we gave them a, a specific bacteria, uh, so a psychobiotic mm -hmm. bacteria, and we found that those that had taken the bacteria compared to those taking placebo had a better sleep quality. And so, so that was kind of really uh, surprising to us. It's quite a crude measure. It's a small study. It needs replication, but it really reinforces uh, how, how sleep and circadian patterns are, are, are also intricately linked to what's going on in our gut. And, you know, I think, you know, circadian rhythms are very important in relation to our body and our health. But, you know, as we age, we all want to age in a healthy way. And no one wants to end up demented or, or, or very, very frail. And these are obviously, you know, problems with an aging society. But what is clear is that if one loses diversity in the gut microbiota as one ages, frailty and ill health follows rapidly. If you look at elderly people in their mid-80s who are healthy and who are reasonably fit, their microbiota is the same as a 30-year-old. If you mm -hmm. look at somebody in their 60s who's 
unhealthy and approaching frailty, they are losing diversity in the gut microbiota. So really, you know, the key to healthy aging, there are obviously many, many variables and clearly one needs to exercise to, to maintain good health. But it is imperative that one retains diversity in the gut microbiota. If one loses it, frailty follows rapidly from that. Yeah. What about, um, so earlier when we were mentioning Ireland not having a culture of fermented foods, but we have a culture of fermented drinks. Alcohol, what's the role of alcohol? Is there beneficial or negative or what's the crack? So we've, we, we, this is something we've studied quite a, a, a fair bit. Um, one of the things we, we found on the microbiome, and again, this was uh, started off in animal studies, we showed that there is a, almost an inflammatory-like effect uh, of alcohol in, 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 on the gut. It's not, it's not really positive. But yes, we know that certain beers, especially the Belgian beers, are, are, are quite highly fermented and they, they can have some, they've been shown to have some positive effects. And I think it's all always in, in moderation. So like, you know what I mean? Red wine is full of these polyphenols. So mm -hmm. polyphenols are, are, are good on the microbiome. But you know, the question is grape juice is equally uh, full of these polyphenols. So there are different components of, uh, uh, there that we need to be, to, to, to be looking at. One of the things we're looking at right now is a study on binge alcohol intake and the yeah. microbiome. And, and there seems to be something about this binging continuously that's quite negative on the microbiome and also on some of the cognitive processes that are underpinning this binging. And so- Well, I can tell you, when I binge, I, like listening to my own body, the next day, I'm, my behavior is as if I had a very bad mental health. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. depressed and yeah. the food that I crave is yeah. high fat, high salt, processed food. Yeah. I don't want to exercise. And for one day, I'm back where I was 10 years ago, yeah. including my cravings and my desires. And the question is, is it, is it your microbes that have been so disturbed, they're saying we want these types of foods now because we're craving these types of foods. And is that the signals they're sending to your brain to, to, to really get you to get these foods for them? And that's one of the provocative yeah. aspects that we're really interested in. Um, a big question I got asked was uh, about poo transplants. All oh, right. Right, well... What are poo transplants and why is everyone talking about it? Right, well, right now there's only one indica indication clinically for that. There's a, an infection in elderly people called C. difficile. It can be a fatal infection, it causes terrible diarrhea, and it can be very difficult to treat with antibiotics. So if an elderly person has it, it really can have awful consequences. If antibiotics aren't working, the the effect of treatment in 90% of cases is to do a, a microbiota transplant, a poo transplant. And as I say, it works in about 90% of cases. That is the only current clinical indication. There isn't a week goes by that I don't get several emails, usually from the yeah. US, asking me if we could do a poo transplant for people who are suffering, someone who's suffering from depression. Now, mm -hmm. I, right now, one would have to say no is the answer. There isn't sufficient data out there. But there are other emerging illnesses where maybe a microbiota transplant might be beneficial. There's a study out recently within recent months in Parkinson's disease, which is a terrible disease in elderly people. It's a motor disorder where people have a, can, can have a terrible tremor and, ha, and have an inability to, you know, to, 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 to basically get around. It has a big impact on motor performance. And this 
preliminary study did suggest that a, a, a fecal transplant actually benefited the symptoms, both the motor symptoms and even the psychological symptoms of patients who have Parkinson's disease. So there's a lot spoken about poo and, transplants. And but a lot really, of, there's a lot of um, clinical trials ongoing right now. Yeah. And so, yes. so it, like it, sounds, it sounds really terrible. But it, it goes, again, it goes back to ancient China. There's a guy called Gi Hong who was using uh, fecal transplant. He called it a, a yellow soup to treat these patients, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so, like a lot of this goes back to ancient wisdom. Uh, we're uh, again with our colleagues in Australia. They're starting to do trials of what we call crap stools. So, basically, putting poo into in, into tablets and and to see if it could have beneficial effect and be more palatable way of delivering this type of medicine. Uh, like overall, to swallow, let's. Sorry, <laughs> that's a hard pill to swallow. It is a hard pill is, to yeah. swallow. But but the analogy I, I like to, to use is that like if you think about your microbiome almost like a lawn, and 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 yeah. sometimes you can add grass to it. If your lawn is is, is starting to to to, to 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 have problems, sometimes just adding new grass seeds is good, and that's what probiotics do. Or so, or yeah. you add fertilizer, which is what the prebiotics and the diet do. But sometimes it just you, you kind of have to take up the lawn and start again, and that's what the poo, yeah. that's what the the, the fecal transplant. Oh. Okay. Are, are about it's about re-putting back in in and uh you know we'll see where there, there's been one study now just out also in alcohol intake um yeah. uh, to show that yeah. some of the cravings associated with alcohol these are small studies all come with health warnings but they they offer some hope uh overall again in autism there's one small study uh open pilot study but but again you know we need to get a lot more data and science and evidence and and so the, that's where we will see a lot more coming uh, and it and it may very well be that as we move forward when we find out what are the bacteria in the poo that are really fundamental then we might be able to put together a consortium mm. of bacteria it might be eight or nine bacteria that mm -hmm. you could put into a capsule or into a drink or whatever and that it wouldn't involve using poo that you could just simply yeah. have eight or nine bacteria that you could give someone with a specific illness and that that eight or nine bacteria would would help to treat that particular specific illness so that podcast interview actually ended quite abruptly on the subject of poo transplants um i think the recording went wrong at the end but that was fascinating that was absolutely fascinating and it was a pleasure to talk to professors John Cryan and Ted Denan in their area which is it's it's just a really interesting area and I hope you enjoyed that and thank you as well to Cork Discovers for giving me the opportunity to chat to the two lads also I am conscious of the fact that I opened this episode by urging men to listen to more women and then I followed that up with an interview with two men the irony of that is not lost on me um, it's just the situation I found myself in this week because of technology. Uh, the, that interview with the two lads, which was fantastic, that I was very grateful to have, is the only interview I had at hand because technology has not been kind to me the past year. I also have a hard drive full of live interviews that is corrupted. and I'm trying to retrieve the files with a lot of live interviews on it. But gender balance is something I'm conscious of. In the live gig setting, back in the dark old days when I was allowed to do gigs, I used to keep gender balance to about 50-50. But I'm conscious that over the past while, it's just been lads that I've been talking to. And it's something I've been aware of recently. So I will have some speakers who are women soon, in two weeks' time actually. I've got a fantastic woman who I'm going to be chatting to about some interesting stuff. So just to let you know that's in my awareness. Dog bless. 
Have a magnificent week. I'm going to be back next week, hopefully, with a fully working computer and I won't have any technological headaches. So please cross your fingers for me. Yurt. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.